think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and our guest today is Chris Fifo, former head grower and current technical expert working with Darwin Perennials and Keith C. Chris has been with us on STEM before, way back in episode 13, where he helped demystify perennial production with Leland Turing. But this time, he'll focus on one crop and dive deep into the lavender pool covering this popular crop from start to finish. We spent some time talking about the recent growth and popularity of lavender, as well as how it's currently positioned in the market. Then Chris takes us into the virtual greenhouse to help you develop a frost-to-frost lavender program using the most optimal methods to deliver the correct temperature, light, nutrition, gases, and PGRs to your crop. The goal is to help you ship the absolute best lavender crop to market because we know that when top-notch lavenders arrive at retail, they sell fast. After we talk production, Chris spends some time helping you select the best varieties for each use, from early season to fall, and from landscape performance to indoor use and essential oil production. Although I do like episodes where the guests and I jump from topic to topic, sometimes it's nice to focus. And trust me, for the next 30 or so minutes, we will be focused squarely on lavender. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four points lining up to support one key topic. As a STEM listener, there's no doubt you're keenly interested in the weather. Growers, retailers, nursery owners, and landscapers all seem to know exactly when it's supposed to rain, when the drop in temperature or heat spike will occur, and more. And thanks to improved technology, our ability to prepare is better than ever. Although I still check the old farmer's almanac every season, smartphone apps are my go-to on a daily basis. In case you're interested, the weather apps on my home screen are Weatherbug and Dark Sky. So I was interested when I came across an article by Allison Rice at agweb.com titled Four Top Weather Apps for Ranchers and Farmers, because those are two professions that need to be in tune with the weather just like greenhouse professionals. As Allison explains in her review, the weather apps that come installed on your smartphone have plenty of limitations, and upgrading to a better free or paid app is probably the way to go. So here are the four she recommends. Let's start with Dark Sky. This paid, hyper-local weather app specializes in down-to-the-minute rain predictions covering the next hour. You can even set custom alerts for daytime or nighttime temperatures, chance of precipitation or wind speed. This paid app requires a one-time fee of $3.99 and is only available for iPhone. And as I mentioned, it's one of my two favorites and I find the rain predictions amazingly accurate. Like, down to the minute. Second, the NOAA High Def Radar Pro. On this app, developed by WeatherSphere, you immediately see the weather radar for the entire US. You can zoom in on your location, of course, but also add plenty of customization, particularly under Choose Layers. Once you're there, you can add custom layers like lightning strikes, recent wildfires, and the latest data from the U.S. drought map. Fun feature, you can bookmark specific locations and add them to your map. And as one reviewer commented, we have some farmland out of state where the severe droughts are occurring, and I've bookmarked each section of land so I can see exactly which pieces of land get rain. Since the city itself getting rain or one piece of land getting rain doesn't mean the other piece a mile away got rain. So this could be actually just what you need if your greenhouse or nurseries are on multiple parcels of property. This app is available for purchase on Apple for $1.99 and Android for $2.99. Next, 
Mesonet, M-E-S-O-N-E-T. So I'm not really sure if we have a ton of STEM listeners in Oklahoma, but if so, this one's for you. Oklahoma farmers and ranchers swear by this free weather app, which focuses on the Sooner State. In addition to the basics, temperature, wind, precipitation, Mesonet features numerous map graphics that show soil moisture, soil temperature, current conditions, changes in the dew point, and more across Oklahoma. It's a free app available for download for Apple and Android devices. The final chip in our game of Weather App Connect 4 is WonderMap, W-U-N-D-E-R-M-A-P. This free app from Weather Underground aggregates the observations, photos, and data from weather enthusiasts across the country and combines them with trained meteorologists. So it's sort of like crowdsourced weather vetted by professionals. Like the other weather apps, you start with the default map of current conditions, but then you can really focus on specific views using layers like U.S. weather fronts, regional temperatures, precipitation, and even webcams. Weather Underground also offers the separate storm and weather underground forecast apps, which are more targeted offerings based on the rich Wundermap data. This free app is available for Apple and Android devices. But in all actuality, the forecast for the day today is lavender and there is a 100% chance of great information and insider tips coming up for you right now. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Fifo to STEM. Chris is the perennial product representative at Ball, focusing on the Darwin perennials and Keeft seed brand assortments and working with key young plant producers and accounts throughout North America. Chris brings extensive perennial technical and product knowledge from his 30-year career working as technical advisor and head grower at Swift Greenhouses in Gilman, Iowa. And he knows a ton about lavender, both seed and vegetative varieties, and as he will explain, he's been growing lavender since it was commonly listed in a standard herb assortment. My, how times have changed. Chris, welcome to STEM. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. So I know from our last STEM podcast interview, when when I talked to you and Leland about demystifying perennial production, that you have a tremendous range of experience with a diverse uh, group of perennial crops. Um, I can't wait to dig deep into lavender this time. So to begin with, can you share a little bit with our listeners about some of your history growing lavender and, you know, feel free to talk about other crops that, that you've enjoyed growing, but, you know, specifically lavender and how you've seen this crop evolve over your career. Sure, Bill. Well, I know a lot of people include lavender in their annual programs, but I've always included it in the perennial program and it's always been in uh, part of the herb program and I've grown many herb programs over the years, but that's just where it's been. It's been part of the herb program and it always included a couple of uh, common seed varieties, the lavender, Munstead, and uh, Higcoat were the primary ones, and they were grown right along with thyme, oregano, rosemary, all the other herbs. But over the years, I began getting questions about uh, which variety would be used for specific purposes, say, you know, which one's the best for oils, or which one's best for my climate, for the heat or the cold, or which one flowers earliest, and um, other things like, which, you know, how do I use them, which ones are good for fall? And so this is when lavender kind of moved itself out of the herb program and became a program all its own. And yeah, I would say that was probably about 10 years ago. And since then, you know, the whole thing has really evolved. 
I think that that that's that's fascinating to see such a change um, in, in a crop over what is relatively a short period of time. So that does help kind of kick us off that we are going to be really focused on lavender for this episode. Um, you mentioned that it's seen a lot of growth and, and we talked about how it's evolving um, with many new varieties coming to market. And, and I've seen lavender um I guess achieve a lot of success at retail at really all different size garden centers. Um, why do you think this is? What's driving what what we've just sort of agreed on as an upswing in the world of lavender? Wow, what's driving it? Um, I mean, who doesn't know the the smell of lavender? Really, um, I think it's just the soothing scent and all the different things that can be done with lavender. I mean, the oils are everywhere. Um, yeah, body lotions, shampoos, soaps, everybody loves it on their body. Uh, and candles, air fresheners, and potpourris. Um, I've even seen scratch and sniff lavender ads in the trade magazines. That was unusual. Um, as for the oil, um, you know, it's highly recognized for healing properties. I think that has a lot to do with it. I know uh, my sister in particular is into naturopathic medicine, and she is a firm believer in the use of lavender for a variety of disorders. I don't know if it's specific to her or everybody, but anxiety, insomnia, depression, headaches, uh, it can be used for just a wide variety of things. And I know personally, my daughter has grown up with lotions that my sister has sent her and she's grown up smelling like lavender herself and she absolutely loves it. And so there, I think we have the next generation on with the lavender as well. That's a great point. It's kind of fun to talk about, you know, a plant and, you know, we're horticulture guys and to talk about a plant that actually crosses over into the health and wellness and, and beauty categories. Um, it's not, not too many of, uh, of, of the plants that, that we grow and sell and that really have active breeding programs that that can be said about. So I think it's really exciting and talking about the next generation, you're absolutely right. I have, yep. I have daughters also who are all about the essential oils and the fragrances and lavender is uh, definitely a mainstay in our, in the girl's bathroom as well. Yep. So <laughs> it's right at the top, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. So thanks for the, the, those insights. And, you know, I know that, you know, certainly Darwin and Keeft have worked on a lot of lavender and breeding companies, you know, continue to breed lavender. I just wonder, you know, maybe you can share with the listeners why exactly that is, you know, what are the breeding companies looking for and selecting? I, you know, I can't imagine that you guys just want to add a bunch more to your portfolio. There's, there's definitely got to be reasons why lavender is um, at the top of the, the list with, with breeding. And I guess is the breeding, I imagine it's continuing as well. Yes, the breeding is continuing, and when I'm doing customer visits and presentations and whatnot, and I bring up, okay, well, here's new lavender uh, angustifolia, here's a new Spanish lavender for you, and sometimes I get eye rolls, or I, I get, you know, start staring out the window or something, and I can see some people, you know, would think that it's just another lavender, but now it's more breeding with a purpose. It's not just for a new color or new growth habits. Uh, we're looking to fulfill a need, a specific niche, or, you know, more importantly, solving a grower problem uh, with lavenders. Um, you know, for example, you know, there's difficulties with shipping lavenders sometimes for the box stores. If it's going on a semi, it's going to bounce around a couple states on a truck. Uh, we tend to get some breakage. And so now we have a new one called Annette. It has very stiff stems on flowers. And so it's bred for uh, better shipping and, and handling 
uh, also used for cut flower then as well, which uh, something is not very common for lavenders. Uh, we're also looking at lavender selections that can perform better in low light conditions. Say if we want to bring them more into our living spaces, not necessarily having to put them directly in front of a window like you normally would for plants, but can we put it on our kitchen island? Can we put it on the end table or the coffee table in the living room and have this still perform? You know, you can't resist walking past the lavender in the house any place without running your hands through it and getting that smell into the air. So we're looking at breeding with a purpose. And yes, there is um, some good purpose on the horizon. That's great. And you talked about, you know, looking at new needs, new niches, but, you know, I love how you, you sort of um, brought it all back to you're, you're looking to solve challenges in the production scenario um, all the way up through shipping. And I think that that's, again, you know, something we talked about last time, you know, when, when you were on STEM to talk about perennials is the the fact that the, the professionalism in the breeding and the fact that the breeding is being done um, truly to solve pain points in the in the growing operation. I think that's that's great and kind of an interesting evolution in, in the perennial breeding uh, world. So let's get down to business since we really are um, here to talk about uh, a lot of the you know culture and technical side and really how to produce that amazing lavender crop and build a great lavender program. So can you start by talking a little bit about positioning, maybe set the scene by going through the different types of lavender, which one's best for different uses? Maybe, you know, I know it's maybe kind of 101 information, but what is the difference between Spanish and English lavender? And and how do we usually see lavender sold in terms of uh, formats? All right. Yeah, there is, um, you know, many different uses for lavenders and different types of lavenders. The two most common types are first the Spanish lavender, the lavender stocus. Um, this is the kind of a different type of, I always thought that, you know, running your traditional lavenders. The common name for this one is sometimes rabbit ears because of the way the, uh, the bracts of the flowers stick up over the top of the pineapple shaped flowers. Um, it's very interesting. It's very showy looking. And so therefore, I think it's like a great impulse buy item. Um, great for Easter programs, Mother's Day, early in the season type of things, uh, just from a showiness. Uh, this is also the type, uh, I don't know if you've seen those lavender trees. This is the type mm -hmm. of lavender that's trained into those trees as well, which I know there's been some huge programs on those. And those are really uh, unique use for these. Um, as far as in landscape, those Spanish lavenders are generally early season, cool season blooming. And so they generally do not flower into the summer. But then uh, that's why I see more of these used in the southern landscapes. Uh, they're not as cold tolerant uh, as well as, as the English lavenders. And so, yeah, as far as the English lavender goes, the Angustifolia, this is your traditional English lavender. Uh, these are the more common ones. These are your uh, ones that are most popular for the oils, the very sweet essential oils. Um, they tend to be more hardy, more suitable for the northern climates, and so I think more of a landscape item uh, for people more in my area in the Midwest and, and further north. Uh, these do stand up well to the heat and humidity as well, just like the Spanish lavenders, and they do continue to flower somewhat during, out, during summer, even though they might, might cycle out a flower a little bit in extreme temperatures in midsummer. And so there's you know the primary differences there between the two. As far as container sizes, well, you know, just about any container size is suitable. There's a lavender that's going to fit any one of them. I would say, you know, just like any other um, perennial herb, uh, I would say gallons and quarts are probably the two most common sizes we see uh, for landscape use on these. 
Okay. Yeah. And that's what I've seen mostly out in the market as well are gallons and quarts. Um, sometimes you do see like a patio pot, a monoculture patio pot of lavender. Um, and I would actually like to see more of that because I do, I agree with you that no matter where you are, when you see a lavender plant, you're going to brush your hands across it. You're going to, you know, grab a handful and, and take a whiff. And I think that that's probably um, something that, that would be really cool to see on, on more and more patios. So yeah. um, speaking of maybe different uses like that, and I know that you did mention a, a little bit about the, you know, the, the need and looking at maybe an indoor use. What are some new niche uses for lavender that you've seen lately? Um, maybe give the listeners some fresh ideas with this crop. Yeah, that indoor use and indoor performance is definitely one that I think is uh, going to have a lot of potential. But you mentioned, uh, you know, the container sizes. Yeah, if we're putting them in the garden, we've got you know, our normal black pots, quarts and gallons. But I see so much more decoration with lavenders. And so they're going into fancy colored deco pots, all different sizes and shapes, you know, rectangular and um, I've seen some triangle bowls that have been really attractive and um, doing like a, a mixed bowl on the patio table. They, you get three different colors of a Spanish lavender, these dwarf ones, in a mixed bowl on the patio. I think that's a great way to use these, uh, just adding the color of uh, the different deco pots. Um, you know, another idea I've uh, heard is about a little miniature program. Uh, there's some dwarf green. The blue spear is a very compact type of variety. And looking at putting this like two and a half inch pot. Uh, I've seen that with my poinsettias and those little miniature pots. Why not do that with lavenders too? And then these could be displayed on, say, a vertical display or something like that at checkout, at retail checkout. I think it'd be a great high volume, low cost item. And it's going to be so showy. And once again, it's sitting there right there at retail. The impulse buy is going to be there. People are going to be running their hands through it at retail, and they're going to say, Mommy, buy me one of these. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, just so many different opportunities with decorating with them, and not just the landscape performance, but uh, we're putting them all around the home, all around the, the deck, the, the balcony, uh, around the pool. I like that idea of putting them in a, in a window box. I have um, a box out of my patio that, you know, I everything in different seasonal plants in but i could definitely see using lavender and then you talked a little bit about the miniatures and i think miniature gardening um i don't think it has the same growth as it did five years ago but it's certainly caught on there's a lot of people with fairy gardens um all sorts of different kinds of miniature gardens terrarium gardens things like that and having a small lavender bringing some fragrance into that use i think that's a, that, that's a really fun idea i'm glad uh that 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 you've got folks asking about that and that you're coming up with some good dwarf varieties to, to fit that profile. That's really cool. Yeah. That's, that's really no brainer there. So how about growing the crop? I know you've got a lot of experience producing lavender. Um, can you run through some best practices, um, from your, from your days as a grower and things that you're learning while you work with these crops and maybe call out some of the pitfalls or challenges that, that you've seen. Um, and I'm going to just kind of step back and, you know, let you take as really as much time as you want here, um, go in depth as, as much as you want and in, into the production of lavender. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lavender is really not that challenging to grow. Um, there are some pitfalls that you need to avoid. And as always, uh, avoiding problems is a lot easier than solving them. 
Uh, lavender can be done from seed or from cutting. Uh, generally, if you're doing the seed, it's very easy to germinate. It's nothing special. And actually it's large enough seed that you can hand sow it if necessary. If you don't have a seeding machine, you can hand sow these uh, directly into 72s or, or 50 cells or uh, any size liner that you are doing. Uh, all you gotta do is keep it wet and keep it between 70 to 75 degrees and you're gonna have really good germination in five to seven days. Um, and so very simple one to do from uh, seed. Also, uh, you'll get a lot of the new breeding in the vegetative side. And so cuttings root rather easily, but generally they would need an environment a little bit different than your annuals. If we're rooting calbricos in one section, we would probably need to root our lavenders in a different type of environment that's gonna be a little bit drier, uh, a little bit lighter on the mist. If they stay too wet under mist, they tend to rot off and we tend to complicate our problems then. So. Um, yeah, then once, you know, growing in the, the liner cell, you know, before we're going to transplant into our, our finished container, I generally like to get, say, one pinch on Spanish lavenders to encourage branching. And English, I think, generally prefer two pinches. I think you get a bulkier, beefier plant with two pinches in the liner. And so as far as, um, you know, growing on, you know, from the grower standpoint, I'm looking at, you know, complete culture, and I look at temperature, light, water, nutrients, and gases. All those things, they're going to affect plant growth, and I generally itemize those and go through them one at a time. As far as temperature, Spanish lavenders can grow cooler than English lavenders. Uh, they can grow and bulk up well in the 50s. Uh, if, you know, temperatures do need to go down there or we're setting our heat down lower in the springtime, we can grow these into the 50s or days are warmer yet. The English lavenders need to be a little bit warmer. Uh, in the 50s, they're gonna tend to stall out. They'll kind of go into hibernation until those temperatures come back up to you know, 62, 65 generally is where we're gonna see some good active growth on the English lavenders. As far as lights goes, full sun, bright lights. Uh, all lavenders prefer full sun, uh, not really photo period uh, responsive. And so uh, we don't need to add uh, Day extension lighting or night interruption on lighting to them to get them to grow. Although, you know, they would benefit from that just from the extra light levels uh, to get uh, more growth on them. Uh, as far as water goes, there's uh, one of the biggest things we need to look at. They do not like to have wet feet. Uh, they got to be on the drier side. They don't like muddy soils. And so, um, you know, a good perlite, uh, peat perlite mix that's got some good drainage is good. Bark mixes uh, with good drainage work well as. Uh, work well. Um, and uh, again, just keep them on the drier side. You're going to encourage good rooting and you're going to encourage more toned growth that way as well. As far as nutrients go, once again, we want the toned growth. I usually uh, like uh, liquid feeds myself, so a good cow mag feed, uh, 15, 5, 15, 13, 2, 13, something along those lines. Uh, generally avoid things like 20, 10, 20, and they're going to encourage really soft really fast growth. Um, outdoor production, that might be a little bit more suitable under higher lights and higher temperature conditions, but in the greenhouse, that's gonna create too much softness and uh, really create some extra problems. Um, and as far as gases go, well, I include humidity and gases. And so uh, they do not like high humidity. These are uh, Mediterranean area type plants, uh, warm, dry, they like, and so, you know, the lower we can keep the humidity, the uh, fewer problems we're going to have there. 
you know, as far as growing on them, if we do tend to get a little bit soft on the growth, whether that's from too much moisture or low light levels, which everybody can experience in the springtime, uh, they are responsive to B9. And so a light spray of B9 at 2,500 parts per million can be used to tone them up nicely. Um, they're not generally a food crop, uh, so uh, it is okay to use the PGRs on them. If they are intended for food use, obviously, um, we're not going to use those PGRs. But generally, that's about it. Uh, most lavenders have a very nice growth habit, especially if you get those princes on them. They're not going to need a lot of extra attention to get a really nice crop. And they're going to flower all by themselves. You're really not going to be able to stop them from flowering. Excellent. That was that was a great clinic right there in a few minutes. I think that um, you know for the for the growers listening, uh, you know, make sure that you you know pay pay attention to especially the you know keep keeping them dry, um, no muddy soils, and uh, I think the the pinching information is is definitely good. One pinch on your Spanish, two pinches on the English, and uh, you should have pretty good success with that crop. So. Yep. How about how about pests and diseases? What should growers watch for um, specific to lavender? Are there any common disease issues, and you know maybe suggest any cures for these issues to help the listeners out? Well, as far as pests, I haven't really seen uh, thrips being too attracted to them. I don't think they like the taste of the lavender. Um, I have seen aphids on them in the past, but generally I see more bees and hummingbirds attracted to lavenders than anything else. As far Oh yeah, as I alluded to, diseases can be an issue due to moisture. Uh, they can be susceptible to pythium root rots. And so if we're on the wetter side, we may want to go with a, a preventative drench, you know, a good all-around um, root rot drench. Um, prevention is best if you are uh, do tend to be a wet grower or you know, more automation on the watering sprinklers or booms like that. Uh, you can tend to stay a little bit on the wet side, and so a preventative drench might not be a bad idea. Um, and also, as far as uh, the foliar diseases go, I've had um, some real disasters with botrytis in the past. Uh, some of these lavenders, you know, especially after a couple pinches, they can get really well branched, and the canopy can get really dense. And so everybody's experienced those conditions in the springtime in the greenhouse where you have a, a stretch of seven or ten days of cool cloudy high humidity weather uh, i know i've been accustomed to growing in a double poly house that's very tight in iowa we're you know trying to maintain our temperatures and in you know in response to that our humidity levels are going through the roof and so we have a cloudy day and we have a grower coming along an assistant that's going to water these overhead watering on that cloudy high humidity day you can have real disasters with botrytis and so their um high airflow lower humidity the better there's many products you know on the market that are suitable for you know taking care of botrytis obviously you know we're looking you know in the finished pots we're looking at the aesthetic values so you want to look at the type of residue that some of those might leave and go with one that's going to have a, a lower residue I know there's also some biological preventative products on the market now too. And I was just getting into trialing some of these and I was finding very good success. And so that would be another option to try on lavender in particular as a, uh, as a preventative. 
those are okay. the major major issues that I've had uh, growing lavenders in the past. Okay, and I think you know your your point of it's best to <laughs> avoid these problems versus solve for them is uh, is definitely going to be critical when it comes to disease. So, yeah, um, good culture. I mean, just generally good cultural practices, and and you shouldn't have too many problems, um, especially with that humidity. Um, some varieties can tend to get mildew as well, and so another thing to be aware of. Okay. Well, thanks for all that great information. I think it's very useful, um, especially for uh, our, our grower listeners who are going to be finishing uh, large lavender crops. So um, let's let's take a little bit of time to talk about varieties, because as we mentioned earlier, though, the breeding is ongoing. There's there's plenty of new um, lavenders coming to market, whether they're, you know, tall and, and hardy for the landscape or a little bit more compact for other uses. What are some of your favorite lavenders and, and why? Uh, my favorite lavenders, well, it really has to do with seasonally. Um, I, my favorites for early in season, I've got my favorites for summer, favorites for fall. And so generally, I like to look at it as a frost-to-frost -frost program. And so for the season starters, I generally like the Spanish lavenders. They, they do well under the cool temperatures. They're extremely showy, great color early in the season. They perform well with the cool temps. Um, and then on the you know the vegetative side, the Anuk is a good vegetative variety. It's probably uh, the most popular as far as cuttings go uh, from seed. The Bandera series from Keith Seed. There's four colors in it. Outstanding performance for a Spanish lavender from seed. Uh, the showiness and the flower power on it is really exceptional. Um, and then also you know for a season start, we've got a new English lavender, which generally do not do well early in season. But the Avignon Early Blue is a cool season English lavender. It's got a 10-hour photo period requirement, so it flowers under short days and it actually grows and bulks up well in the 50s. And so that's very uncommon for an English lavender. And so there's a season starter for the English lavenders. Um, as the season progresses, you know, it gets warmer, our days gets longer, our Spanish or nut can be performing as well, and that's when we're going to switch to more English lavenders such as Super Blue and Blue Sperry. Those are probably two of the showiest of the English lavenders. One's seed and one's vegetative. Uh, as our season progresses even more, we can go to the Elegant series from seed as well. Uh, this series has not only your traditional purple and blue color in there, it also has a really nice pink and a white color, which is unusual for lavender. And so that's where, those are the varieties I would take into midsummer then. And so then if we're looking at a fall and you know the fall decorating season going into frost one of the critical factors we have to look at there is how are these going to perform during summer production and there's some varieties that are not going to perform and bulk up well in that summer heat uh, and so for that fall program i look at the super blue which does well but i also look at the levant's deep purple from seed that one is going to stand up well to the heat and humidity better than say the elegance or the blue spirit would and so, you know, for other, um, you know, specific uses for lavenders, if someone wants the best lavender for oil production, uh, I would look at the lavender grosso. This is the highest uh, producing oil variety that there is. Uh, if you want a really huge, really statement in the landscape, I would say you have to go with the lavender phenomenal. Uh, that would definitely be my choice. This was uh, bred by Peace Tree Farms. This one gets three to four foot tall in uh, the landscape so it really does make a huge impression so 
you know, those are some of my favorites. Um, another note is that the Chicago Botanic Garden uh, recently completed a seven-year study on their favorite English lavender varieties for uh, the northern climates and for the Midwest here. And uh, they published those uh, results in Nursery Management Magazine in uh, February, I believe it was, of this year. And here they noted that the lavender super blue was one of the best performing for the Midwest as far as uh, cold hardiness and landscape performance goes. So, uh, like I said, there are so many varieties out there, and there's more to come, and they're going to be bred for a specific purpose. So, you know, uh, I think I would suggest everybody choose to their own liking, but those are some of my personal favorites. Excellent. And I will actually include a link to that Chicago Botanic uh, article in the show notes. Um, that, uh, that trial information, I think, is fantastic. Um, and for those of you listening in real time, there is still plenty of time to get your orders in to produce, uh, you know, to expand your lavender crop for, for fall sales. And um, Chris called out the Levant's Deep Purple and the, and the Super Blue as two, um, two lavenders that would be um, good to produce uh, in the summer season for fall sales. So um, if, if you're thinking about, you know, leaving this episode and you got thinking about lavender and expanding your offering to fill that retail need that we've been talking about, those are two good ones for you to, uh, to take a look at um, as we speak. So, so Chris, we've talked about the growth in lavender. We've talked about the differences in the, in the um, types of lavender. We've talked about some of your uh, suggestions for growing a, a healthy, strong crop. We've talked about diseases to try to get ahead of, um, some of your favorite lavenders. So what have we missed? Do you have any other thoughts related to lavender that you want to cover before we wrap this one up? Wow, that was a lot of good information we covered. Um, Tons. Wow, what's left? Um, you know, basically, you know, it's, it's so easy for anybody to have a lavender program, um, you know, and a program doesn't need to be something really complicated. It's just a matter of understanding which varieties to grow for which season. That's the main thing. And just another note that, you know, many of the English lavender varieties are first year flowering. And so we can grow those and finish those in the same season. So that makes them very easy to schedule. Uh, Spanish lavenders, they're also first year flowering as well, but, um, Many of the vegetative varieties do benefit from a cool treatment, uh, not necessarily a you know, whole uh, cold treatment fertilization program, but they do get the strongest flowering after cool treatment. So some of those you might want to look at starting earlier in season, you know, put them in a cool house if we're doing those for early spring sales. Okay. No, I think that, um, yeah, especially when you're, when you're thinking about putting that plan into place when you plan to sell the lavender is going to um, have a lot of influence on the varieties that you choose and, and how you grow them. So definitely be conscious of your local conditions, the climate, um, and when you want those products to be timed for retail. Because I know that one of the sort of missions of Darwin perennials these days is to, um, to sort of have that frost to frost type message you know you have great products for early in the season summer and then into the fall um but it's not it's not a matter of holding those products over and you know cutting them back and putting them back out in the fall it's really having fresh product timed for the different seasons and i think you know i'm pretty sure that lavender fits into that uh, mission pretty well 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Fresh product um, uh, versus the cutback that uh, they can look a little bit tired at times. It's true. And lavender really is, you know, a, a beautiful crop. You talked about some of the different colors coming to market, the pinks, the purples, even white. Um, seen dark tones in the stems and in the flower heads. I think that um, there's probably a, a whole a whole sort of uh, uh, lavender experience that's awaiting uh, shoppers these days when they go to uh, the garden center that maybe they haven't seen in the past. So uh, it's great to, to learn more about this really, truly important perennial crop, and especially now that it's moving into so many perennial programs. So thank you so much, Chris, for, for this time. It's great to have you back on STEM talking perennials. Um, I'm always amazed by your expertise um, in the greenhouse and now that you are uh, out supporting growers working with these products. So how can folks get in touch with you if they have questions or are there any resources you want to share to support any of the best practices we went over today? Uh, well, you're welcome, Bill. I enjoyed uh, being on your podcast again. Yes, um, I can be contacted at, uh, at Ballhort C5FO, C-F-I-F-O, first in, first out at ballhort.com. Uh, uh, there's lots of good resources on the Darwin Perennials website as well as um, Pan American and Keep Cranes website. We have lots of good scheduling information, and that is really my goal: is to help people have success with these crops. You know, main thing is getting the scheduling down correctly. And I loved how you put it: the lavender experience um, as a really good marketing scheme right there. Lavender. <laughs> well, it's a crop that that not only has visual appeal but also fragrance, so it's appealing to multiple senses, and people walk by and touch it. So absolutely. You know, I think that, that that's half the trick to getting it uh, to getting it sold. So now we just need to make sure the greenhouses are full of lavender so that there's plenty of it on the shelf when customers go looking. So All again, right. thank you so much, Chris. And I look forward to speaking with you again on Perennial Crops. All right. Very welcome, Bill. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to STEM. Insider tips for greenhouse pros and special thanks for helping us reach 10,000 downloads. That's a huge milestone in the podcasting world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and give it a good rating on your podcast player or better yet, write a quick review or share it with your coworkers and peers. This will help expose more potential listeners to STEM. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. That's B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And now you can follow STEM Greenhouse Podcast on Instagram. That's STEM Greenhouse Podcast, all one term, for behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, and all sorts of good stuff. So let's end this episode with a quote about lavender from author Alice Hoffman. Always throw spilled salt over your left shoulder, keep rosemary by your garden gate, add pepper to your mashed potatoes, plant roses and lavender for luck, and fall in love whenever you can.